Hello and welcome to Clear Out. I'm your host, Nihal Qatar. This week we have another very special guest. We had on Matt George of Locked On Kings to talk about Sacramento's fantastic season thus far. We will have a link to Matt's Twitter and to Locked On Kings in the description down below. You can always reach us at Clear Out Podcast on Twitter as well as clearoutpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of this interview if you have any questions or if you have any comments on the Kings and their great season. Without further ado, here's Matt. All right, we have Matt George from Locked On Kings on the podcast here today. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Before we get into the Kings, uh, can you tell people where they can find you? Absolutely. So wherever you find podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, we're on YouTube as well. Just look up Locked On Kings, and there's a million ways that you can find it, but I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, you know... Much has been made about the Kings having a 16-year playoff drought. It's after the All-Star break. They're still winning games. They're 36-25. and 25. What is it like in Sacramento right now? What is the vibe around the team? I mean, it's complete elation. Look, it's been, it's been 16 years since the Sacramento Kings have been in any kind of meaningful position at this point in the season, unless you were talking about having a chance of sneaking into the playoffs via the play-in or before the play-in via like the 8th or 7th seed at absolute best. The Kings are in a position that they have not been in since 2005, which is 10 games, now 11 games, over 500 in a really, really good spot to potentially secure not just a playoff uh, return, but home court advantage in that playoff return, which is a position that none of us expected to be in. So Kings fans, at least the majority of them that I know of and that I talk to, myself included, we're on cloud nine right now. We're just trying to enjoy the ride as much as possible, but also gear up for playoff basketball, which we haven't experienced and I haven't covered so it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun race for the remainder of the season. I'm looking forward to actually paying attention to basketball in late April and early May. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I, I'm a Bucks fan. I grew up a Bucks fan, and we sort of underwent a similar transformation. You know, I remember watching the Bucks get 15 wins in Giannis's and Chris Middleton's first season together, and then just you know, 15 years of just terribleness, really, uh, between Ray Allen leaving and Giannis becoming a good player. So. It is an exciting time for the Kings. They're super young. They have such a young core uh, that I think will carry them going forward. What, what do you think has been the biggest change this season? Is it the fact that Fox and Sabonis had an offseason together? Is it Mike Brown coming to the team, the additions of Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray, or, or is it all of that? I mean, it's a compilation of everything, but if you're looking for the biggest significant change it's Mike Brown. I mean, Mike Brown has come in. He's established a culture. He's got the entire team to buy in, even the team uh, or even the members of the team that aren't necessarily too happy with their role. Uh, and then, of course, Demontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox being together for um, a, a full season went better than, I guess, most people expected. But as many of us in Sacramento were expecting and hoping, like people just for some reason thought that the Kings gave away Tyrese Halliburton for nothing. Like they didn't also acquire a two-time all-star in that deal. And someone that instantly made De'Aaron Fox better. Plus De'Aaron is having the best season of his career, even though the stats don't stay that stats are misleading. De'Aaron Fox is playing like an absolute superstar right now. He scored 30 points in seven straight games, nine out of his last 10 games. He scored 30 points or more. So he's playing like a superstar right now. The Kings got uh, two all-stars for the first time since 2004, I think. Uh, and then they, uh, Monty McNair Kings general manager did an excellent job surrounding them with role players and pieces that complement them, getting shooters like uh, Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray, Malik Monk, who's basically taken over that six-man role uh, for Sacramento, plus the connection that he has with De'Aaron Fox. It's a compilation of a lot of things, but just an expert job uh, by the organization as a whole to turn things around this quickly. 
you, you touched on Mike Brown's impact. You had a really great sit-down conversation with him uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, uh, before the All-Star break. And he mentioned how he puts the, the players first, essentially. Um, it, it's more than basketball, right? He, that's his relationship-building uh, philosophy or coaching philosophy. Do you think that's the, the, the primary reason why we've seen such a big buy-in from players like De'Aaron Fox this year? I think that's part of it. Like uh, Mike is, is known as a player's coach. Mike is super well-respected, but Mike has brought a culture of winning. I mean, he's already well-respected before he took this job. Mm -hmm. He got everybody to buy in um, off the fact that this team can be good and will be good if everybody plays their role and gives 110%. In fact, Mike Brown uh, had a contract drawn, drawn up that every single member of the team signed. There are two copies, one in the practice facility and one in the Kings locker room that says that everybody will commit to give 110%, no matter uh, their role, that they will give their all uh, to this Kings team this year. And the players have lived up to that. He's brought a reputation of being a very solid basketball mind, surrounded himself with a fantastic staff like Jordy Fernandez and um, Luke Lautz and just so many different great pieces. Jay Triano, Doug Christie. Uh, this staff is extremely well-respected. Uh, and he, he's gotten the players to a position where not only are they willing to take criticism from him and be coached by him, they're quickly implementing those changes, which is a lot of credit to the players and, and their ability to, to, to take notes and, and change things. It, it won't just be over the course of a week or over a course of a game. We'll see them make adjustments on the fly during a timeout and come out of that timeout and play much better basketball for the remainder of the game. So uh, Mike Brown has completely changed the culture here in Sacramento, and the culture has been losing for so long. Uh, he and many others, but especially he and his coaching staff are uh, direct reasons for that culture change. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people know about the, the type of culture Mike Brown brings and, and the type of person he is. On the court, though, this offense has been the best in the league. It's been incredible to watch. It's super entertaining. It seems like Mike Brown's taken principles from everywhere he's been and, and put it into this offense. And I think a really underrated aspect of, of Mike Brown's coaching this year has been his play calling. I think a really great example is that Malik Monk three to send the game against the Clippers into overtime um, that got him that open look. What specifically from you know the sets they run or from the way the offense moves, what has impressed you the most about that this season? Well, Mike has implemented an offensive system that works to the strengths of his team. Mm -hmm. So everything basically runs through DeMontis Sabonis. He's the foundation of what uh, what the Kings do. That doesn't make him the best player, but it makes him the most important player. Offensively, and at least until the fourth quarter, DeMontis Sabonis is kind of the, the wheel that, that makes everything move. Then De'Aaron Fox kind of takes over in the fourth quarter, and De'Aaron Fox has been the most clutch player in the NBA. He's been virtually unstoppable in the fourth quarter, can get wherever he wants on the floor. And because Sabonis is so important and because the team plays off of Sabonis so well, De'Aaron doesn't have to give 110% the entire game and be gassed by the fourth quarter. Even if he's played 35 minutes by the time he enters the fourth quarter, he can still come in and be rested enough to become that fourth quarter Fox that we've gotten so used to uh, this season. So uh, what's impressed me the most is how Mike Brown has so quickly just been able to unlock this group and how this group has been able to figure out how to play together to where they're not thinking anymore. They're reacting to each other. They know where Kevin Herter is going to be on the wing. Keegan Murray, the fact that Keegan Murray gets as many wide open threes as he does is ridiculous considering he's one of the best shooting rookies of all time and mm -hmm. might actually become the best shooting rookie of all time. But because he is on the floor with 
Fox and Sabonis, who draw so much attention. He gets wide open threes. Kevin Herter gets wide open threes. Then you have Malik Monk coming on off the bench, and Malik has taken kind of a primary facilitator role in addition to microwave score. Mike Brown has given him the confidence and given him the freedom to kind of express himself through getting his teammates involved, and he's become an energizer bunny for the Kings in the second unit. Then you have bench players like Terrence Davis, who's gone for 30 points a couple of times. You've mm -hmm. had uh, Trey Lyles, who will step into the game, and, and whatever his role is, he will deliver offensively at times. So it's just a solid, cohesive unit, a group of guys that know how to play together, and it seems like one or two will step up big when needed. For example, with De'Aaron Fox out last night in Oklahoma City, uh, Harrison Barnes stepped up and scored 29 points. But then you'll also see, if you sift through um, box scores for the Kings, especially in wins, you'll see six, seven players at times in double figures. This Kings team offensively attacks as a unit to where, again, even without De'Aaron Fox, their leading scorer, they can score nearly 130 points like they did last night. Absolutely. And there's so much to get to with this with this Kings team because there's there's so many exciting pieces. Uh, Keegan Murray has been phenomenal this year. Uh, I've really loved watching him play. You mentioned his three-point shooting, one of the best uh, three-point shooting rookies of all time. I was looking through his percentages. It's crazy to me that he almost shoots identically from the corner and above the break. I mean, that's super rare, especially for a rookie. I, I, I do think the rest of his game offensively is a little underrated, actually. I think he makes some really great cuts within the frame of the offense. I, I think you've mentioned on a podcast recently that you think Keegan Murray can be one of those guys that his number is being retired with the Kings. What about him and his game excites you that much that you think he can be a Kings legend uh, for, for the, the entirety of his career? Well, for one thing, I believe Monty McNair when he says that he wants Keegan Murray to spend his entire career in Sacramento, which is pretty rare, but mm -hmm. Keegan Murray is that type of player where you can see him fitting with whatever team uh, for the foreseeable future. And look, if Keegan Murray is a king his entire career, the Kings have a very solid, consistent player, and I feel very confident saying that even though he's just a rookie because he's shown that even coming into the league. I was extremely high on Keegan Murray coming in, and a lot of fans in Sacramento and a lot of NBA fans, period, thought that Jaden Ivey was the right pick over him because of the flash and flair and Keegan's more kind of quiet, boring fundamentals. Well, fundamentals mm -hmm. are essential for this Sacramento Kings team who has lacked fundamentals at times. Plus, fit is extremely important. You'll hear people say draft best talent available over fit. Yeah, that's fine for a team like the Orlando Magic at the top of the draft that aren't expecting to go anywhere. But for a team like the Sacramento Kings who expected to compete for a playoff spot, I don't think they expected to be the third seed in the West, but they need someone who's going to fit in and fill a hole. And the Kings needed shooting and floor spacing around De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. Keegan Murray has absolutely filled that hole for them. Plus, you talked about how underrated he is putting the ball on the floor. The growth that he's shown over the course of the year, Mike Brown has directly challenged him to play better defense, to grab more rebounds, and to put the ball on the floor and attack the basket more aggressively. And all three of those categories, almost immediately after he was challenged and Mike Brown said something publicly, we've seen results. So Keegan is willing to take those criticisms and he's willing to adapt and do what he needs to do. Now, while his demeanor on the floor suggests that maybe he's disinterested or he's quiet or you won't really see him flex or celebrate or smile all that much, he's very much a gamer. He's extremely important here in Sacramento. Uh, and if a big three is what the Sacramento Kings are seeking, it wouldn't surprise me if next year or in, in, in future years, it's Fox Sabonis and Keegan Murray is that third piece. Yeah. And th that point about fit that you mentioned is so important because you have one of the best, probably the second best, if, if not the best, I guess, playmaking big men in the NBA. I think I think I would give that to Jokic still, um, but you have Sabonis, you have De'Aaron Fox, who might be the hardest player to keep in front of you one on one in the NBA, and then you you basically always have three shooters around him. So that's just been really 
brilliant team building uh, by the Kings on their part. Um, you know, despite that, there was not really much activity uh, with the Kings at the trade deadline. No, no meaningful pieces added to the rotation. Um, we did get a question about the Kings not acquiring rim protection. What are your thoughts about what the Kings did at, at the deadline or, or their lack of, you know, doing things at the deadline? What, what, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I was in the minority uh, here in Sacramento with that because I, that's what I expected. And I on the Locked on Kings podcast for weeks building up to the trade deadline, I shared that from what I had heard and based off my understanding of the roster, the Sacramento Kings were not going to make any kind of big splash moves. Sure, maybe they could have found a backup center or a backup guard or some defensive wing presence, but we don't know what was available to them. And ultimately, Mike Brown, I'm sorry, Monty McNair made it perfectly clear in his post-trade deadline press conference. He said his number one goal or one of the main goals was to protect the core that the Kings have here. And mm-hmm. the way I look at it, they have a core six. It's the starting five, and Malik Monk is that sixth. And you could even add seven, eight, being um, uh, like Trey Lyles and uh, Davion Mitchell. So, plus, chemistry is a significant thing. You don't want to disrupt chemistry by trying to make these moves. Monty McNair clearly believes in this roster and he's being proven right every single day with how this team that lacks experience is one of two teams that has been undefeated since the All-Star break. The other team is the Milwaukee Bucks who haven't lost in like a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about a championship contender, arguably a championship favorite, and the Sacramento Kings is the only two teams where when the lights are brightest here, when it matters the most... After the the trade deadline, with I'm sorry, after the All Star break, with so many teams in the West that did improve, that are gunning for the inexperienced Sacramento Kings, the Kings are handling their business. They've won three straight on the road. Like I said, four and zero since the All Star break, including defeating the Clippers in LA, where the Kings have not lost this season. They're four and zero in in, in uh, the Crypto.com Arena or whatever it's called down south. <laughs> like th- this team, as constructed, definitely has holes. Uh-huh. Definitely has defensive issues. But offensively, they are so good. And chemistry-wise, they have clicked so quickly that Mike Brown or Monty McNair did not want to risk affecting that or breaking that up. And I know some fans wanted the Kings to use a second-round pick or two to go out and get a player just like other players removed in the second round. Either way, the Kings were not going to get an impactful enough player that was going to make that big of a difference. This core was always going to take the team, this Kings team as far as they're going to go, and they're proving that right now. That, that makes a lot of sense. You did mention the backup center position. Um, you know, the Kings right now, uh, their weakness is, is their defense, obviously, right now. Um, they give up 70% uh, at the rim, or, or a team shoots 70% at the rim against them this season. Um, you know, does, that, does the lack of rim protection concern you going into the playoffs? I would. I mean, there's always cause to be concerned. I expect the physicality of the playoffs and the defense of the playoffs to pick up a little bit. And again, the Kings don't necessarily have the experience outside of Harrison Barnes and Matthew Dellavedova. Those are the two that have won championships on this Kings roster. Other than that, I mean, this team is kind of going in. They do have other players that have made the playoffs before, but their main guys, specifically De'Aaron Fox, he hasn't been there before. Keegan Murray hasn't been there before. Now, Kevin Herter has, but different guys have, have, have tasted it. Malik Monk hasn't been there before. So this is a group that's going to figure it out. And ultimately, while there are concerns defensively, you look at the Western Conference in particular, and there aren't any defensive juggernauts really in the Western Conference. And you look at the best defenses in the league, and they're not vastly superior to the Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. Now, I expect there to be a, a learning curve. 
I actually have no expectations, period, for the Sacramento Kings when they get to the playoffs. I, I hope they win. They're going in with the expectation to win and make it as far as possible, and they're more than capable of doing that. But for me, them getting to the playoffs, at that point, it's house money for me. My expectation is that just that this team will be competitive. And I'm telling you, there's not going to be a team in the Western Conference, even if the Kings somehow fell to eight and took on the, the Denver Nuggets. There's not going to be a team in the Western Conference that's going to sweep the Sacramento Kings. The Kings are too good offensively. They just show that you can score 175 points against their bad defense, and they'll still beat you. So offensively, it's enough to carry them through. Would you like to see the Kings improve? Yes. And ultimately, Monty McNair is going to see in the playoffs this year what he has to do to improve this roster so that they can grow and build upon it next year. But also a big part of that is going to be De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Savonis getting that stage together. And I'm telling everybody, the way we talk about John Morant, the way we talk about the other exciting guards in the NBA that have been anointed as the, 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 the faces of the league at that point guard position, De'Aaron Fox is going to force himself into that group with how well he performs once he gets to that playoff stage you know it's funny I, I don't I don't disagree with you at all on that I, I, I've been a big fan of, of Fox myself uh, for these last couple of years he's taken another leap this year I, I think what I've been really impressed with and in the offseason uh, Mike Brown and Fox both talked about a defense and, and working on that end of, of his game um, you know I, he's not quite there where he's a really good defender but he has the tools to be and I've been really impressed with his activity on defense um, have you seen the same thing with him on that end uh, of the ball, him just being more active, being more locked in on defense? Aaron has been phenomenal defensively this year. Mm -hmm. And again, you, you look at the numbers and you don't say, wow, that's a really, really good on-ball defender. Except in the fourth quarter, defensively, De'Aaron Fox, just as good as he's been offensively in the fourth quarter, he's been excellent defensively. Facing mm -hmm. typically the best guards, guarding them, locking them down. We go back to that Clippers game where the Kings won in double overtime. The Kings were down and pretty much out of it three different times, including being down by 11 points uh, with three minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. De'Aaron mm -hmm. Fox started a run by getting a bucket, getting a steal, getting another bucket, and then Keegan Murray got a steal and got a dunk, and that's what led the Kings back in. A really quick run that got them back into it. Of course, ultimately, they tied and went to overtime. The Kings were down by four, five points in both overtime periods, were able to overcome that, and a lot of it has to do with how they were playing defensively. And the Kings' defense is not good, right? Like, we know this Kings' <laughs> defense is not good, but if you look at defensive rating by quarter, the Sacramento Kings after actually have a top 10 defensive rating in the fourth quarter out of anybody. So when it matters, they're playing better defense, and a lot of that has to do with De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, and something I noticed while just looking through cleaning the glass, and like you said, numbers aren't everything, but um, they they give up 70%. Uh, opponents score 70% of their shots at the rim, but they, on, they only give up the 14th most shots at the rim, and, and they give up a lot of mid-rangers. They force teams into a lot of mid-rangers. How are they able to do that this season? Uh, it's... it's you know, that's a great question. I've been trying to figure that out. Like, <laughs> basically, what destroys the, the Kings is paint touches. If guards in particular can break down the perimeter defense and get into the paint and force DeMontis Sabonis or whoever big to leave their man and either commit a foul or just help, and then there's no help on the weak side defense, that's where Sacramento falls apart. Mm -hmm. So they've really struggled with that. And truthfully, the best game plan of how to stop the Sacramento Kings is attacking the paint and trying to get uh, DeMontis Sabonis into foul trouble. But... When the Kings are communicating efficiently uh, and rotating properly, they do a better job at solidifying that paint or locking down that paint and forcing teams in a lot of isolation jumpers and, and, and pull-up mid-range jumpers, which the league is going back to that mid-range game a little bit. De'Aaron Fox has been excellent in the mid-range this year, so I understand uh, how those shots are maybe a little bit better today or a little more acceptable today than they were in years past. But that is going to be... A, 
pretty much the main area to pay attention to or one of the significant areas to pay attention to when it comes to postseason basketball for the Kings is if they are allowing guards to get into the paint and touch the paint, they're in big trouble. But if they can cut off those drives to the rim and force mid-range jumpers, they're putting themselves with how good their offense is, they're putting themselves in their best position to win. Absolutely. Something else um, they're really good at is limiting transition points. They give up the fewest uh, transition possessions in the league, which is also really impressive for their defense. Um, you know, I, I do think fans maybe get caught up in fans of every team get caught up in being a contender and winning a championship. That sometimes just enjoying the ride or enjoying, you know, seasons like this get get lost. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on the playoffs, but I do want to ask one question about the two man game that Sabonis and Herder play and Sabonis and Fox play. Do you think once you hit the playoffs and that intensity ratchets up, that they'll uh, they'll, they'll struggle a little bit, or do you think this is directly transferable to the playoffs, their success on offense? Well, let's put it this way. I think there's always going to be an adjustment in the playoffs that maybe the Kings and we are not necessarily, necessarily prepared for. We mm -hmm. have to see. But DeMontis Sabonis can play a two-man game with anybody. Like, multiple Kings teammates, including Kevin Herter, have said he's the easiest player to play with on the planet. Like, he'll find you, play off of him, he'll look for you, he can also score himself. Like, Sacramento's offense is so dynamic that even if they face a team that figures out an aspect or two of it, I don't think they really can be consistently shut down. And consistently is the, the important point there because not too long ago, the Toronto Raptors came into Sacramento and the Kings looked terrible. Offensively had their worst night, could not hit a shot, could not get anything going. The Toronto Raptors were extremely physical. And we looked at that game and went, oh crap, is this how you beat the Sacramento Kings? Are teams starting to figure it out? Well, that's a one-off. Because since then, the Kings have not been held that way. But even if, let's say they face the Dallas Mavericks, who are not a good defensive team either, so maybe this is a bad example. But let's say they play the Dallas Mavericks in the opening round of the playoffs. And let's say in game one, the Mavericks up the physicality and defeat the Sacramento Kings by not allowing their offense to get into the rhythm that they're used to. Mike Brown is so good with adjustments that in game two, I expect things to be completely different. Like this Kings offense is far too dynamic. DeMontis Sabonis is too good. De'Aaron Fox is too good. And there's too many good shooters and playmakers around them that they're not going to be held scoreless or held uh, offensively to struggle for four straight games in a sweep or for uh, four games out of a seven-game series. I, I, I find that very hard to believe. A lot of teams at times are going to have to just try to outscore the Kings and not let it be a close game in the fourth quarter to allow De'Aaron Fox to carry the Kings the rest of the way. What do you think their ceiling is this year? Boy, I, I mean, I, going into the season, I thought their ceiling was being a six seed, if I'm being completely honest with you. And of course, <laughs> expectations have changed. Like I was hoping the Kings would avoid the play and now the expectation is for them to avoid the play. And we would all be disappointed if the Kings fall into the play in at this point in time. Um, I mean, the ceiling for the Sacramento Kings, I, I think it's undefined. And that's not a cop-out answer. Like if the Kings were to make the NBA Finals, it's a run of dreams. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute run of dreams. And I would never predict that. I would never put money on that. But it's, possible today even if it's one percent it's possible whereas coming into the season it never seemed possible so if the kings get hot at the right time and they keep rolling and offensively do enough to where defenses can't necessarily figure them out plus if maybe they get some luck in, in matchups maybe the boston celtics or the milwaukee bucks who typically beat the kings pretty good every time they play if either of those two teams maybe get knocked out somehow and the kings face an opponent in the NBA finals that they weren't necessarily expecting. Hey, maybe they can have some better luck, but ultimately the Kings making it to the playoffs. Like I said earlier, it's, it's house money for me. I expect that they will have a very, very good chance of making it out of the first round. I don't know about the second round. I don't know about the, uh, the Western conference finals either way. 
this Kings team is getting the experience that they need, and they're good enough to beat any team and to hang with any team on any given night. And who knows if that will lead to them catching fire enough and, and being good enough uh, to make a deeper run than even we're expecting here in Sacramento. Gotcha. So, so is playoff success, is this season just a success to you no matter what because of the expectations coming into the season? Or for you, is it like they, they you said they're, they're playing with house money for you. But if they if they win a playoff series, is that like a true mark of success for them this season, do you think? If they win a playoff series, I mean, that's worthy of throwing a parade in Sacramento. And that's not <laughs> like it's, it's a joke, but it's not a joke. Like sure. genuinely for a team to go from not being able to make the play in to the third seed home court advantage and winning a playoff series against a team that is going to be more experienced and have probably more quote unquote star power than they do unless they get like the Minnesota Timberwolves or something Mm -hmm. like that's that's significant for this team but like if the Kings fall out of the top four let's say they get a top six seed and they don't get home court advantage and then they're swept in the opening round of the playoffs yeah absolutely we would be disappointed because we know this team is better than that like we know now that this team is better than that so disappointment and expectations are two different things. Like the Kings getting playoff experience is ultimately what's most important. I don't have any expectations for how deep the Sacramento Kings can go. They do. They expect to win. Their goal is to go all the way. And that's, that's fine. Me and my position, I'm just happy to watch playoff basketball. I'm happy to learn and get some context of what this team looks like in a playoff setting. And then I'll be able to kind of figure out what I think the Sacramento Kings should do next year and what the Kings need to do to build upon it next year. But ultimately, it would not surprise me at all and shouldn't surprise anybody if the Kings win a playoff series. And if they do, I'm telling you, Sacramento will explode. (laughs) So, you know, we actually we got a listener question from uh, Pubbin, uh, who actually works for the Kings. Uh, he, He said... To ask you to describe what a home playoff game in Sacramento would be like, and it's funny because you just you just had released a podcast about this, but um, we got that question too. So, what what's it going to be like uh, come the playoffs in Sacramento? I'm telling you, the entire city is going to shut down, and and that's not like an overreaction. There are a lot of fans in Sacramento that are now Warriors fans. There are a lot of fans in Sacramento that are Lakers fans, and you know what? As much as I like turn my nose up at them or roll my eyes at them, I don't blame them because the Kings haven't been good in 16 years. But the amount of people that have just approached me and talked to me, friends of mine from high school, family members of mine that haven't cared about the Sacramento Kings since I was a child, asking me, going, hey, is this for real? Are they actually going to make it this time? I got to get some tickets. I got to get out there. I got to see this team. Like, that's the general vibe in Sacramento is, oh, wait, this is different. And, of course, the fan base is rallying around the beam, just like the team is rallying <laughs> around the beam. Like, we're talking about a, a city that's going to completely shut down. We're talking about if we know the Kings clinch a third seed, let's say they have a 7 o'clock tip-off in game one. From 8 a.m., the city's going to be packed. Like, downtown commons outside the arena is going to be packed. That's going to be one of the hottest tickets in the NBA, period. Uh, And, like, the atmosphere, we're talking about bringing back Arco Thunder, um, which was the loudest building in the NBA for years and one of the hardest places to play. We have not heard the Golden One Center get as loud as it possibly could, and I encourage your listeners, go on to YouTube and YouTube Kevin Herter's game-winning three against the Utah Jazz at home this season. Listen to it and listen to the crowd literally break or nearly break the microphones of the, of the television cameras in the arena. And you can see the entire place shaking. That was a sellout crowd in the middle of the regular season. I'm telling you, the Kings can take it or Kings fans can take it even a step further. Like the entire city is going to go absolutely bonkers. It's been a long time coming. There's going to be a lot of frustration, a lot of uh, anger, a lot of happiness, a lot of like just 
struggle and suffering of Kings fans over the last 16 years. That's going to be taken out over the course of really game one, but the entire playoffs, and it's going to be just incredible. That's awesome. One of the most underrated crowds in the league. I think people are starting starting to finally wake up. Sacramento goes hard. I'm a big soccer fan, so I, I remember even when Sacramento Republic, which is a USL yep. team, w- w- uh, was playing, I think, in the U.S. Open Cup, their fans went crazy. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like uh, in, in, the, in the NBA playoffs. Uh, final question, another listener question from Huzefa. He asked, uh, where do the Kings stack up against the other young cores in the league? So how excited about you about this core going forward? Well, what excites me the most about this core is how basically everybody is on the same age timeline. Like everybody's in that 24 to 26 range. De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis, um, Kevin Herter, Malik Monk, they're all in that range. Keegan Murray's a little bit younger, of course. Davion Mitchell is actually only a couple of years younger than that. Now, Harrison Barnes is is... I think he's either 29 or just turned 30 or something like that. So Harrison is one of the older guys on the team. But this core is on the same timeline, which means it's very possible or very feasible to imagine this core sticking together long term and being hitting their primes at the same time and playing well together for a long time. Very similar to the core of the late 90s and early 2000s with uh, with Bibby and Weber and Peja and Vlade and, and, and that entire team. Doug Christie, too. So... That's what excites me the most about this core. There are definitely younger teams in the NBA that are on the up and up. I actually really like what the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing. I'm very interested to see what happens with Chet Holmgren when he comes back. Uh, I'm actually a fan of what the Dallas Mavericks are, or sorry, the Orlando Magic are doing too. Like, I'm a big fan of Paolo Bancaro. I think he's a runaway for the rookie of the year, even though Keegan Murray is being asked to do what no other rookie is, which is being a starter on a playoff team, and he is living up to that, which I think should be taken under more consideration than points per game, which is why Paolo is going to run away with it. But I like like the Orlando Magic young course. So there are definitely young cores that are younger and maybe more exciting, but their window is not opening yet. Their window is not going to open for a couple years. By the time their window opens, the Sacramento Kings are hoping to be that Denver Nuggets team or the old Warriors team that's at the very top that is teaching those young guns a lesson. Absolutely. To me, the Kings are kind of like the Cavs last year. If they can get one more piece, I think they, for the next few years, can can contend even. I'm really excited about them going forward. Before I let you go, uh, is there anything else we didn't get you that get to that you want people to know about the Kings or the Kings experience? I just encourage everybody to pay attention. Just watch. The Mm. Kings are incredibly enjoyable right now. And don't allow your preconceived notions of Sacramento Kings basketball and don't allow national media members who claim to watch the NBA but really only watch the Lakers and whichever team Kevin Durant is on and all the big market teams and don't pay attention to the Kings but spew off takes like they do know what's going on. They know nothing. Mm -hmm. So don't listen to those people. Listen to myself. Listen to so many people in Sacramento. There are so many great outlets, so many great podcasts, radio shows, uh, videos, whatever of people here in Sacramento or around Sacramento that actually understand what's going on. Listen to someone like Mark Spears, who's very plugged in here to Sacramento. Listen to someone like Sam Amick, whose home is here in Sacramento. Those guys who are national media members are aware of what the Kings are actually doing and what's really happening here. But even if you don't care about all that and you just want to watch good, entertaining basketball, the Kings are one of the most entertaining teams in the league to watch. Offensively, they're a lot of fun. Uh, They definitely have moments defensively that make you go, yikes, and that's fine. But this is going to be a team that everybody should be following and paying attention to. And I would hope they're a team that all of the playoff te- or all the teams that are out of the playoffs, all those fan bases rally around the Sacramento Kings as a representation of how quickly you can turn things around with competent, uh, competent front office decisions, a good head coach, and a team that buys in. 
absolutely. Great way to put it. If you guys have not, make sure you go check down Lockdown Kings, some of the best team-specific coverage out there. Uh, you keep it f- super fresh every episode. I really love listening to the podcast. Thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thanks for doing it, and we'll uh, we'll do it again. <laughs>